This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Joseph Webb, CEO of Nashville General Hospital. Dr. Webb, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And it's a pleasure to be here, Laura. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast because I know you're doing some amazing things at Nashville General, and this will be a fun conversation. But before we dive into our broader discussion, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yes, sure can. Um, well, let me start with uh, just the educational part of it. Uh, I have a, a uh, of course, you know, I'm in Nashville. I have a bachelor's and a, a master's degree from Tennessee State University here. And I also have a master's and a doctorate in health services administration from the uh, University of Alabama at Birmingham. Uh, in my experience, I've... Uh, I've operated uh, behavioral health hospitals and acute care hospitals, both. I uh, have experience in operating for-profit hospitals and private not-for-profit hospitals, as well as now a uh, public hospital uh, in Nashville General. And I've been here for nine years. Basically, my focus at this point is on using uh, population health improvement uh, to uh, apply the science of healthcare delivery. And we can talk a little bit more about what that means. Essentially, uh, utilization of evidence-based management using available data and empirical evidence to, uh, to target strategic goals and, uh, and outcomes uh, of our patient, for our patient population. I, uh, at this time, am operating with uh, 35 plus years of experience in healthcare leadership. So I've been at this a while. That's amazing to hear. And I'm definitely excited to learn more about what you're doing around population health and the science of healthcare delivery. That sounds like such a fascinating topic. And I think too, when you look at opportunities, obviously 2023 was a tough year for many organizations, but heading into 2024, what is your growth strategy for the next few years? How are you thinking about that? And where are you really doing to fold in population health to the overall general growth strategy? Yeah, we we have a uh, a number of activities that are that are pretty robust. Uh, start with um, we have a new hospital plan on the table. Uh, we're working now uh, through uh, areas of possible location for the hospital. We've done all of the uh, preliminary work, uh, pro formas, economic impact studies, um, and um, feasibility studies. So all of that's in place. Now we're working again with the city uh, and the city's leadership to identify the acreage and where the hospital will actually be located. So we currently have an aging plant that's uh, that's beyond repair. And um, with Nashville being the uh, 10th fastest growing city in the nation and with a thriving economy Nashville is also considered, many might not know this, the uh, healthcare capital of the United States, arguably the world. With the, uh, if you go and look at the number of uh, healthcare organizations, uh, systems that are in Nashville uh, compared to other cities, you'll see why that is the case. Um, so that's uh, one of the things that we're doing in that new hospital, we're looking at uh, expanded services such as acute care uh, for behavioral health patients, uh, inpatient uh, facility. We have a dearth of 
behavioral health beds. I think that's probably true across the country is that shortage of behavioral health and mental health uh, care. So we're going to focus on that more heavily. Uh, also skilled nursing, because as we look at uh, acute care hospitals and particularly safety net hospitals, uh, we know we service uh, a population of patients that oftentimes uh, go beyond the need of just the uh, the uh, acute care uh, of inpatient of an inpatient setting. They need to really be in a in a setting that's more conducive to their level of need, and it's usually not as intensive as the inpatient uh, acute care. And so, a step down uh, is both cost avoidance as well as uh, good care for the patient. And so we'll be doing that. And uh, then we'll we'll focus on Center for Women's Health. And I'm sure you've, you've heard some of the uh, the data on, um, on women's health, uh, uh, mortality, you know, just uh, maternal mortality as well as infant mortality uh, is at epidemic level in, in certain parts of the country. Uh, of the United States. And so we want to focus on that and bring some uh, some, some better equities and uh, el eliminate some of the uh, disparities because we know that women of color, particularly African-American and Hispanic, are one and a half times more likely to die uh, from maternal mortality uh, than their white counterparts. And so we need to close the gap on that, on that disparity. We'll be focusing on that. Uh, and then uh, we currently have one of the oldest uh, oncology services in the state. So we're going to be looking at expanding that to become uh, more uh, comprehensive. And th those are the areas that we'll be focusing on, particularly with the new hospital. And uh, overall, we, we already have a very robust ambulatory uh, service here. So we're going to be looking at expanding our footprint in the, in the market too with our with our clinics uh so that we can engage more in uh in primary care in the ambulatory care because that's the key to keeping people uh, healthy and out of the hospital our goal is to keep people out of the hospital we're in the business of health care not sick care so um if we don't have a huge uh volume of patients in our inpatient beds we uh assess that as being we're doing a good job of keeping people healthy because we don't turn anyone away. I love that measure of success. And it really seems very forward looking in terms of where healthcare is headed and being able to truly care for communities that you're serving. And in particular, as you mentioned, keeping them healthy and making sure people have access to what they need in order to stay healthy as much as possible and then care when it's necessary in the right spots. Building a new hospital, that's a huge undertaking. And during a time when there's a lot of change and upheaval in healthcare overall, that's really impressive and seems like quite a project, um, but exciting that you're moving forward with it. From your perspective, do you see any challenges upcoming or are you building that in that hospital or do you have a pretty well uh, planned set that you feel like is really going to make a big difference for the community? You know, um, with the... Uh... The number of years I've been in the business and the uh, the level of projects that I've worked with as far as particularly construction, it's always been one of my favorite areas of healthcare, uh, uh, healthcare leadership is kind of getting outside of the, uh, the walls of the hospital and, 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 you know, working on projects uh, where you're doing things that are expanding your services. So 
it's not it's not new to me. We have uh, secured an owner's representative here, uh, and so he's uh, he's been on the on the payroll now for about a year or so, and uh, so we have some good leadership there. His team has really provided a good roadmap for us, uh, and we've gone through the uh, you know the programming aspect of it, where we sit down with the users and. Uh, and assess their needs and then then factor that into uh, program and design. You know, uh, the old uh, architectural uh, adage that, uh, you know, form follows function. So we want to we want to see how we uh, how we want to function as a new hospital, state of the art. And we are a teaching hospital. So the um, Harry Medical College uh, utilizes our resources here for training, teaching and training their students, as well as uh, the local universities here, Tennessee State University, Belmont, Lipscomb. Uh, we uh, we also engage with their students in, in some of the uh, ancillary and support areas of training as well. That's fantastic. And now I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit more about the exciting or most impactful initiative or project that you're working on right now. The hospital is a big one, but I can imagine there's other things that you can dive a bit deeper into um, to share some of your results or something that's really had great results for you. Uh, yes, uh, probably the most impactful has been our work with the uh, Congregational Health and Education Network, uh, acronym CHIN, uh, C-H-E-N. And CHIN is a faith-based initiative. Uh, and it's an innovative approach to um, addressing health inequities and health disparities. Uh, this is largely uh, African-American churches. Uh, now we're uh, listed at 108 uh, congregations that have signed up and are members of the, uh, the CHIN organization. It is a 501c3 uh, corporation. And the, uh, the key uh, aspect of CHIN is to improve on health disparities, reducing health disparities and health inequities by enhancing education attainment, uh, giving individuals uh, open access to uh, health care, and focusing on health literacy, as well as working with the CHIN churches, the congregations, to support their activities within their uh, their community. So uh, it's it's a very comprehensive concept. We're now in the process of scaling uh, to make sure that there are resources available at the churches to continue to drive uh, the uh, forward motion towards uh, implementing programs. And each church is 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 in its own way unique. But we do know that from the science that particularly African Americans have always sought through the church, uh, social, economic, physical, educational resources through their uh, faith-based organizations. And so we're, all we're doing is applying, you know, an old approach to a new issue. Well, it's not so new because health disparities have been around for a long time. We just hadn't recognized it. Uh, and, um, you know, COVID revealed something to us that kind of hit us in the face that was there all along, but uh, we just didn't see it for what it was. Uh, the uh, disparities uh, in the uh, morbidity and mortality of COVID, particularly among people of color, uh, 
was astounding. And um, so we utilized the Chin platform to engage the uh, faith-based community, the churches at a much higher level by giving them continuous access to our uh, to our programs here at the hospital. So whether they have you know, the ability to pay or not as a public hospital or safety net hospital, uh, we're able to afford uh, that care to any and everyone. And um, so that's one of the uh, the key initiatives that we have. It's a big driver of, uh, of the uh, initiatives here at the hospital. And so, and then there's the uh, essential hospital designation. Now, this one is uh, an element of my participation as a board member at the national level of uh, America's essential hospitals, which, which represents public hospitals across the country. There's about 330 safety net hospitals, public hospitals across the United States. Uh, this organization is located in Washington, D.C., and it is the advocacy group for those hospitals. And so I serve on that board, and the uh, designation uh, would be that we're engaging legislators now in D.C. to codify essential hospitals into statute which would allow for better support and access uh, to healthcare. Essential hospitals uh, provide um, as much as five times the care to uh, un uncompensated care as other hospitals in this country. So they're very critical. And, um, you know, if we can get that done, then it puts it in the same level as, as critical access hospitals and some of the others that through statute have allocated resources to make sure that those organizations are able to sustain themselves. And we need the essential hospitals because of the margins, the thin margins that they operate on as a result of providing so much uncompensated care. We don't want the solution to be that they have to cut back on care in communities. Uh, and so we believe that if our policymakers will support the uh, designation of essential hospitals and allow through uh, statute certain resources to be allocated to their operating costs, then that will help to sustain them, again, due to the disproportionate share of uncompensated care that they deliver. So that's, that's a major project. And I'm hoping that there will be a lot of people across the country listening to this so that we can gain momentum with uh, with this really critical need for our communities across the country. Wow, that's amazing. And certainly, again, just another hugely important undertaking that you have in terms of bringing together these executives and learning from the safety net hospitals and such an important resource, as you mentioned, for a lot of uncompensated care being able to provide that care for communities is critical. I appreciate you for doing that and, and sharing how others can do it as well. Certainly for others within the community who want you to, to learn more from you about your efforts, is there a website that they can connect you with? Actually, you know, there is a national website uh, for America's essential hospitals. And uh, there's certainly uh, information there that will 
you know, guide people towards some of the uh, initiatives that are in the forefront of the activities that we're engaging. It's a very uh, uh, effective staff uh, that uh, drive these activities, and they're they're located in D.C., so they're constantly connecting policymakers there as well. We have a very, uh, uh, let's see, um, charismatic leader in uh, Bruce, Dr. Bruce Siegel, who leads the organization. So um, it can anyone can reach out and connect through the actual na national organization itself. And I, I would certainly encourage that uh, so that uh, individuals in these communities can learn more about the advocacy group that's really representing. And these guys are sharp, they work hard, and they, uh, and they get results. You know, there are other issues like the 340B uh, designation, the um, uh, disproportionate share dish funding uh, that was being uh, threatened to be cut uh, at the national level. And so these are all initiatives that America's Essential Hospitals have taken on uh, to, uh, you know, to support uh, members and, you know, even a public hospital, safety net hospital that's not a member, as with all associations and advocacy group groups, they're going to be free riders. And, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I mean, it just happens. If you're not a member, you still benefit. But we encourage uh, public hospitals that are not members of America's Essential Hospitals to understand the work that's being done. And uh, the more members we have, the more impactful we can be as an organization. That's exciting to hear. And just real quick before we wrap up, could you touch on what you think is the most important thing for healthcare executives to do right now and make sure that their organizations are successful in the future? You know, I, I think one of the things, uh, I have a couple that I, that come to mind. Uh, one of the things is engage in evidence-based integrated care and, and integrated delivery of healthcare. And by evidence-based, I'd refer to it earlier, uh, the science. It's just using, um, you know, available data to address our healthcare delivery uh, needs and and uh, uh, addressing uh, the uh, goals and objectives that we're trying uh, to achieve in healthcare. So I would encourage individuals to look towards evidence-based management, not ne not necessarily medical because medical is already evidence-based. You know, physicians, you know, clinical trials and all of that, they, they are already dealing with evidence-based methodologies. What we fail in is the evidence-based management aspect of our delivery systems, where we're utilizing science to make major decisions on how we uh, drive our healthcare organizations. So that's one, and I would also uh, urge uh, leaders to focus on uh, their uh, workforce plan, particularly physicians and uh, uh, nurses and respiratory therapists. All of these areas are becoming more and more stressed with the care needs across our country. And we really got to pay attention to that and do what we can to promote and build uh, more resources coming through the pipeline in these uh, certain uh professions in healthcare, uh, particularly on the front line. And then lastly, I would say um, uh, prepare for escalating costs. 
you know, in the areas, particularly of pharmaceuticals and some of the other ancillary uh, supplies and services that we, there, you know, healthcare in the United States is already at 20% of the gross domestic product. And it's, it's escalating. It's going to continue to escalate. You know, we're in a culture where margins are key and everybody wants a margin. And when that happens, something's got to go up <laughs> to accommodate all of these margins. So, I mean, uh, not necessarily complaining about it, but it's reality. And if we're going to survive in the future in healthcare and continue to fight against health disparities and health inequities, we've got to be cognizant of these issues and these challenges. So that would be my advice to, to leaders in healthcare. Dr. Webb, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been such a fun and interesting conversation. I really appreciate your time and look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there. Mm -hmm.